connecting, coming here. Welcome, RLC family and friends, and those of you that are online, we thank you for joining us. I believe that you made a good decision that God is going to make a deposit in your life and do something that is life-changing. How many of you know God wants to change our lives all the time? How many of you know we aren't big on change? And sometimes we resist God. And uh, it's something that happens, and we know better, and yet it's still, we're challenged by it. But we need to realize that God has the best plan for each and every one of us. There is no one that has a better plan, as great a plan as you think you have. I want you to know. The Bible says, I has not seen nor has ear heard nor has entered into the heart of man. That means with all, all our ability to think and see and hear and wonder and expect great things. That eye has not seen nor ear heard nor has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared, that he wants to do exceeding abundantly. Now, I, I've never heard anybody outside of Scripture say exceeding abundantly. That's like way over the top. He'll do exceeding abundantly above all you can ask or think according to the power that's at work in you. And today the question is, what power are we allowing to work in us? Because we can be saved and be used by the enemy. And if we don't have Jesus as our Lord, the enemy is the one that is really the main influence of our life. As much as we think we are in control, we aren't. The things we see that's going on in the world around us, you know, a lot of people are becoming very, very tense about what's going on. And you may say, well, but aren't you? No, not at all. Well, why, why aren't you concerned? Because I read my Bible and I see in my Bible the things that we're seeing in the world right now. It was right there. Right there in the book. And no matter what goes on in the world, we are in this world as Christians. We are not of this world. Our source, our protector, our provider is not from this world. He made this world. And this world went into sin because man chose to do his own thing because he thought he had a better idea. Which is what always happens when we choose to do something other than what God has directed us to do. If we don't let God guide and govern, then we're headed towards disaster. But in the midst of all the darkness and the things going on that the Bible tells us would go on in these days because these are the last days, we have great hope, great confidence, great peace, great joy because our faith is not in this world. It's in God Almighty, our Heavenly Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And the Bible tells us where sin abounds, I think it's abounding. Grace much more abounds. That means what we're seeing going on, there is a move of, of evil and darkness. I hope you are continuing to pray for Israel, and not just Israel, but all people in the Middle East, and the things that are going on even in our own country. 
where people are so motivated by evil and darkness, and this is not just about the mass shootings. It is about that. But motivated by evil and darkness that they so devalue human life. But it happens not just in mass shootings. It happens in all sorts of areas and ways in our society. And these very things are the things that if you read your Bible and you understand that no matter what goes on, God is still in control of our lives if we let him be. But that's a big if. To what degree are we letting God have his way in our lives? When Eric was up here, he talked about giving all to God. The moment we come into relationship with Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of our sins, the cleansing of our life, he comes in not to be a buddy, but he is the best friend you'll ever have. But he comes in to be Lord and master of our lives. And that never changes, and yet we can adjust it. We can say, well, you know, I don't want to go to hell, but I don't want to do that. And that's where we, we need to realize, someone said it this way, if Jesus isn't Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And that's a hard thing to, to swallow. But we can't just give lip service to God. As I told you last week, what God's having me teach has been something that is very, very weighty to me. I almost feel as if all the years that I've been teaching have not even come close to how important these messages are. Because we are, we're living in the last days. But as much as we're seeing the fulfillment of prophecy in the Middle East and around the world, we're also seeing God work in amazing ways. And yet, you're not going to hear it. You're not going to hear it on the news. You're not going to hear it on just secular media outlets. But it's happening. Do you know that there are revivals going on? Revival's going on in the Middle East. There are so many people that are Muslim that are turning to Christ, giving their lives. SOS is one of the, the organizations, missions organizations, that we support. They're seeing thousands of Muslims give their life to Jesus. Now, you may not think much of that because if somebody today were to say, I want Jesus to come and be Lord of my life, we'd all celebrate it. But in their country, in that environment, that is a possible death sentence. If people in their family or their community find out that they have turned to Christ and trusted in Christ, they would try to kill them. What a price they pay to stand proclaiming they are a Christian. So what kind of price do we pay? people might look at us funny. Oh, you're a Jesus freak. Oh, 
You, you read your Bible? Oh, you live by that old book? I want you to know that old book is, is very, very relatable for everything we do today, everything we experience today. And so it may be chronologically old, but because it is the Word of God, it is alive and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. It is something that gives life. I want to tell you something. I've got this message that I've wanted to get to for a long time and haven't. But the Bible says that the, the, the Scriptures are inspired by God. The word inspired means God breathed. Do you know something? If you were to take a balloon and blow it up, you breathe into it and you capture that breath. Do you know what's in that balloon? What's in the balloon? What else? Air, water. That's not the most important thing. There's something unique to that balloon that you blow, blew up. Your DNA. That's exactly right. Your DNA. The building block for life. Do you know that God's DNA is in his word? It's the building block for all life. That's why the word of God is so important because it's God-breathed. And when we speak God's word, it's not just us speaking. It's God speaking through us with power and things change. But things are changing in our world. Revivals in the Middle East. Don't hear it on CNN, do you? Don't hear it on NBC, CBS, or anything else. And yet it's still happening. Do you know that there's a revival in the LGBTQ plus community? Hundreds, if not thousands, of formerly LGBTQ have turned to Christ and found freedom. Oh, please. Are you serious? You're just going to sit there? We celebrate one person, but it's the Rainbow Revival. And it's men and women who have found their freedom as new creations in Christ. They're reporting their... their they believe their community is seeing revival like G the Jesus people movement of the 60s and 70s. It is amazing. They're having freedom marches where people are getting saved and set free in Dallas, in Georgia, in Florida, in Washington, D.C., and L.A. But do you hear about it? But God's doing it. God's not looking for notoriety. God's looking to fulfill his plan and purpose, which is good, which is life-giving. Have you heard about the revival in, in Georgia? There is a revival at Jensen Franklin's church in Free Chapel in Gainesville, Georgia. It started as just some meetings, and people were getting set free. People were getting healed. There was restoration in relationships. And then it started to go on. It's actually continuing today. 
And they don't know exactly when they're going to stop because they're not going to stop until God stops. But one thing about revival is you and I can't do it, but we have a part in it. For revival to start, it has to start with someone, somewhere, and then other people begin to experience and desire, long for. Not just, hey, you know, it'd be nice. Wouldn't it be nice if we had, had those miracles and those healings and people getting saved and our family getting saved and uh, families being put back together? Wouldn't that be nice? No, it's about getting to the place where we're so desperate, we want that more than we want anything else outside of God. And we can go to places and experience it, but do you know God wants to do that everywhere? God wants to do that in Rome, New York. Do you know that God did that in Rome, New York? Through a man by the name of Charles Finney. History of Rome, quick. Finney came in. He, he did some meetings, and all of a sudden, revival started. And people were getting saved in businesses in Rome. It was said that you couldn't go anywhere in the town of Rome that you would not find people praying. That's what he did. How many of you know that God wants to do even greater in the days we live in? But we can't be so distracted and so divided into wanting this and that and the other thing. And, oh, yeah, God, I want revival. Oh, yeah, God, I want to see your power. Oh, yeah, God, I want, I want your miracles to occur. No, it has to be moved up on the scale of what's important in our lives. And right now, we are a generation that has more than any other generation. And yet, we are so unfulfilled. And our lives many times seem so empty, and yet we've got so much. It ought to be an indication. It's not about getting more, and yet many times we just try and pack more into our lives, and it doesn't work. And that's one of the definitions of insanity. Doing the same thing and expecting something different as a result. And life can't be just life as usual if we're going to experience and be a part of what God has for us. God always has for us to experience change. And that's one of the reasons that we're teaching, I'm teaching what, what God has directed me to teach. Because when Jesus came and began his ministry, the Bible tells us that Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. John the Baptist, who was the forerunner to Jesus, he was the one that was preparing the way of the Lord. He preached repentance for the kingdom of God is at hand. We've been learning about the kingdom of God through a variety of things. The Lord's Prayer, now through the parables that we find in the book of uh, Luke, or I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 13, two short parables, and it speaks to us about the kingdom of God. And I just want to start out there this morning, but before we do, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Father, it, it, 
it's so important that we recognize that you are here and that you desire to do something amazing in our lives. Supernatural. Now, Father, it may be not something that the world would say was spectacular, but, Father, it is transformational. And so today we know you're here because you said where two or more are gathered, you're there in their midst. We know you're with those that have joined us online because there's no time or distance in the Spirit. But, Father, we thank you today, not for just information, not for just us putting in time. Father, right now we pause to let you know what our deepest hearts desire for you to do in our lives so that you can do what you have always planned to do through our lives. We thank you, Father, for the presence of your Spirit who lives in us, who guides us into all truth, and that truth is transformational, your Word. Father, help us to have ears to hear what your Spirit is saying to us, the church, today, so that we can rise up Lord, as your body, as your army in these last days to fulfill your purpose and plan with your power and presence, not just on one day, but every day. We thank you, Father, for doing this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Matthew 13, verse 4, 44 through 46, it says, and Jesus is teaching, he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure, treasure, treasure. And we found out treasure meant, means a deposit. And we all have treasures. But one of the things about treasures is it's something we look to, whether it's a person or a thing, to enrich our lives to enhance our lives or to elevate our lives. And there are degrees of treasures. But this says the kingdom of heaven is, is a, like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all he has and buys the field. Then he goes, he says again, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who when he found one pearl of great price, a flawless pearl, went and sold all he had and bought it. Now, in both these situations, our Lord is telling them about the kingdom of God and the value of the kingdom of God. But also what the, these two individuals, the man in the field and the merchant, had accumulated in their lives, their treasures, up to this point, they had accumulated. We don't know what. We don't know how vast their accumulation was. But we do know this. All that they had accumulated up to this point, all their treasures were revealed to be what they always were and not a true treasure because they were willing to give all of it up for the one thing that was priceless 
that was above all other things in value and importance. And what was that? What was the treasure? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven. They had seen, especially the merchant, he had spent a lifetime of looking for treasures in pearls and probably had a vast amount of them. And all of a sudden, he finds this one flawless, priceless pearl, which is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And all these other things, he now looks at and says, wow, you know, that's, that's not worth anything to me. I am going to sell all of this for this one, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Now, I, I want you to understand that we as people, that, that grates on us. That, that, that doesn't make sense to us. How, how can we give up everything for one thing? Because how do I know it's really that valuable? I'm willing to try the kingdom of God, give it a shot, but I'm not giving up everything. Please understand, what's being taught here is about the priority in our life. God may not make you give up everything, but do you know that there are people that have given up everything for the kingdom of God? Let me remind you of one. Mother Teresa. Well, that's extreme. It's extreme to all of us, but she prioritized something above everything else, doing what God had for her to do. And when we prioritize and give Jesus the preeminence in our lives, the first place, the most important, the most impacting in our lives, the most valuable in our life, then there are going to be some things that we have to give up. But we all want bargains. I want it all. Right? Like the song. I want it all. I want it all. And I want it now. But if you have to make a decision, because the Bible says we can't serve two masters. We'll love one and hate the other. We'll cling to one and we'll despise the other. What do we love the most? See, this merchant loved pearls. Doesn't tell us what, what the man in the field loved the most. But we do see that at one point he recognized nothing else mattered but this. Nothing else was more valuable than this. And when we make God more valuable and his kingdom more valuable than anything else, we are finally getting into the right position to see God change our lives and change the lives of the people around us what is it worth for the people that you love and you know to have god working in their lives or the community that we live in or the workplace where we 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 work or where we do business the the grocery stores and and uh, the the other places that we go 
What is it worth to us to see those lives impacted eternally? Because there is a constant battle, a constant tension in our lives of what's going to be the priority. And it's constantly pulling on us. And there is a price to pay. I want to share with you something this morning that I read. It's about a uh, wilderness uh, park in Wyoming. One of the most supposedly uh, highest rated parks in America. And, and it is called the Bridger Wilderness Area in the Grand Teton Mountains in Wyoming. Now, one of the things that they do, it, it is spectacular, and people just crowd the place out, so they have to have kind of a system where they determine how many people can come in at a time, and then when those people go out, another group comes in because there's a waiting list. And with every person that goes in, they hand them a comment card. And I want to read to you some of the comments they got back. All right? Here's the first one. Too many bugs, mosquitoes, ticks, chiggers, leeches, spiders, and spider webs. Listen, please spray the wilderness to rid the area of these pests. It gets better. Please reconstruct the trails, avoiding building trails that go uphill. Oh, hang on. Please pave the trails. Chairlifts are needed to be in some places so that we can get to the wonderful views without having to hike. And listen to this last one. There are more, but I only, I only chose these. Coyotes made too much noise last night, kept me awake. Wait. Please eradicate these annoying animals. So in each one of these, there was a situation cited that was unpleasing to the person and a plan given how to take care of it, but it was absolutely, totally based on them. That is the society we live in today, wanting everything their way. We all fall prey to this. And that's the kingdom of us. That's our kingdom. And our kingdom and God's kingdom can't coexist. Because we always push for our ways. And God will let us choose whatever we choose. God is not going to force his kingdom or his way or his will or his plan, all which are perfect on any one of us. And just like these two examples in these parables, they were just going about their business, doing life. And all of a sudden, they woke up. They found something that had always been there. They weren't aware of it. And now a choice came. What am I going to have to pay for? But do you know in the first, first parable about the man finding the, the treasure in the field? He went and sold everything. But how did he do it? Oh, my gosh, i got to go sell all my stuff. 
He was joyful. Why would you ever be joyful when you have to get rid of all your stuff? Yes, thank you, Dwayne, because what you're looking to gain so far exceeds it. If it's just a little better, then you may not be so joyful. You may be like, well, I'm not sure. But when you see something that you know far exceeds everything you have in your life, you're willing to give up all that stuff because you want the best that God has. And what did it cost God to give us life? His only begotten son the most prized and priceless thing he had. And what did it cost Jesus? Everything. That's like the, uh, the pig and the chicken walking down the road. Now in this story they talk. And, and they saw at the rescue mission a sign, donations needed. And so the chicken said to the pig, let's go, let's go make some donations. Let's help them out. And they went in and they, the chicken said, here, I've got some eggs. And they said, thank you so much. We really need eggs. We can feed a lot of people with this. And, and the chicken looked at the pig and said, what are you giving? He said, well, I guess, I guess I'll give some bacon. But it's really hard. And the chicken was like, no, I just gave him my eggs. He said, that was an offering. Mine is a complete sacrifice. Do you know that we need, we are going to have to sacrifice. It costs us something. Not to get into heaven. That's a free gift. The Bible says salvation. We're saved by grace through faith and it is a gift that none of us can brag about it. But once in the kingdom, if we want to go up, we have to give up. We can't be doing everything we used to do and say, you know what, I want to attain what God has for me in the kingdom. The Bible tells us we have to put off the old man and put on the new man. And I just want to say this right now, you're not going to hear a lot of this in a lot of places because people don't like to hear it. And in the times we're living in, last week I shared with you that people will have itching ears, heaping teachers together to them to listen to only what they want to hear, what affirms what they think. And I'm telling you, it's happening right now. And we don't need to hear what we want to hear. We, we need to hear what God wants us to hear. Because without that, we'll never, never change. And we talked about... Matthew 6.33, where we seek first the kingdom of heaven before anything else. And, and we're just going to go back to Luke chapter 12, verse 34. Where your treasure is, and we heard it today. Where your treasure is what? There is your heart. Our treasure, the thing that we're looking to enrich and enhance and elevate our life. That's our treasure, that thing that's going to make a deposit or that person that's going to make a deposit. And things make deposits in our life and we get enriched and enhanced and elevated. But for how long? You know, it's very short-lived because this life is like a vapor. Vapor. 
and the things that we look to in this world may enrich us for a little bit, enhance us or elevate our lives. You know, technology is great. But what's the problem with the phones and technology? Well, addiction is one thing, yeah. But one of the things that happens is there's planned obsolescence. These companies have already planned that there's a limited lifetime to this. They've already planned out what is the next thing that they're going to roll out that's going to be bigger and better. And we've got to have it. But I want you to know, as much as the treasures here have to always try and scramble to keep making themselves valuable, the one treasure, the one true treasure, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is unrivaled in its value and its impact. Because the kingdom of God impacts us in this life, but also for eternity. The other things? For a season. And where our treasure is, our heart is. The word heart has an implication of what where our attention and affection is, where our desires and devotion is, and where our passion is. So if you want to know what your treasure is, look at what you're passionate about. What's the thing you're most passionate about, you're most interested in? You're, 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 you most desire and you're most, you're most dedicated to. And if it's not the kingdom of God, I need to tell you today, it's time for us to change, realign to get a true treasure, not these trinkets that call themselves treasures. And Debbie shared with us today in communion. And we need to test our hearts. We need to know. We need to let God search us and show us what's going on in our hearts because we don't even know our hearts. The Bible says no one knows the heart of man except for God. And we need God's revelation and help to make the adjustments because if not, we're going to try and adjust the kingdom of God and the word of God. You know about Thomas Jefferson writing his own Bible. Did you? Yeah. Yeah, he compiled a Bible of the scriptures, but it was only 86 pages long. I, 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 I read that and I couldn't imagine that. But he removed the passages that he considered Anybody find any challenge with that? That he considered were vulgar, ignorant, impossible, superstitious fabrications and fanaticism. This is the word of God we're talking about. I don't know. I think Thomas had a little arrogance. And to call down all the scriptures into 86 pages of scriptures... And then he had the audacity. And I'm not trying to beat him down, but this is what he said. He, he completed his version of the Bible, and he wrote to a friend and sent him a copy with a note saying, his version of the Bible is a document in proof that I am a real Christian. That is to say, a disciple of the doctrines of Jesus. Any deception there? And the Bible says where there's deception, there's what? Man, he, 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 
just tore through the Bible and made it what he liked, what he wanted, what he didn't agree with, what he didn't understand, what he didn't want to believe. He cut it out. And we sit here and we think, man, how crazy is that? And yet we all are tempted to do the same thing. We just don't tear the Bible apart. We just avoid areas. We just don't want to hear things. But many times the things we, want, we don't want to hear are the things that we definitely need to hear. Because there are adjustments that God wants to make in our lives because we're not perfect. But God is working in us to perfect us. And one day the Bible says when we see him, we'll be like him. That's when that perfection that God brings to our life culminates. But this happened in, in the Apostle Paul's life. The Apostle Paul, we see this, this transformation of looking at all these things that seem to be valuable treasures and realizing they weren't. And he didn't just call them trinkets. So in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, in the New Living Translation, it says, I once thought, Paul wrote this, he said, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them, what's that next word? Because of what Christ has done. All of a sudden, Paul is living life large. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a Jew of Jews. He was educated, highly educated. He had huge impact and influence. People respected him. People sought him out. People listened to him. And that's when he was called Saul. And he is now saying, something's happened in my life. Because of what Christ has done, the things that I thought were treasures, that were, were valuable, were priceless, I now recognize them for what they are. And what did he say they were? Worthless. That's an indication when Christ comes into our lives, there's a change that doesn't just happen inside and spiritually. All of a sudden, it's almost like we begin to see truly like we never have before. We have available to us truth. And that truth cuts through the smoke screen in this world. And we begin to see things as they really are. And, and we've all experienced this as kids. We had treasures, but as we grew up, our treasures changed. Big boys have big toys. And Paul is experiencing that. And then in the next verse, verse 8 in the message, he, he writes this. Yes, all these things I once thought. That phrase, I once thought, is indicating a change. I once thought were so important are gone from my life. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand, everything. Remember when Eric said all? I hope you do, because we need to give our all to God. Everything, everything I once thought I had going for me is, what's the next word? 
insignificant. It doesn't matter. And what he does say is dog dung. Now, think about that. He's saying the things that he wants held on to, elevated, elevated his life. It was like dog dung. How many of you want dog dung all over your house? <laughs> Listen, we had a great Dane. At one time, I thought that's all that was around our house. But, <clears throat> but he had this, this new understanding and perspective that was for the first time in his life. For the first time in his life, he saw the truth of the value of what he had prized, what he had pursued what he had tried to attain to and what his life was all about. He says, I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ. And then verse 9 goes on to say, I could embrace Christ and become one with him. That's not just a thing that God wants to happen in heaven. God wants this to happen here. Not just at the end of our life. He wants this to happen today and tomorrow and every day where we'll walk through this world recognizing as much as that used to be important, it's not important. This is important. What does God treasure? And what do we as a society... It seems like at this time, more than ever before, devalue each other. Each other. We're, we're looking to save the whales and, and all these other things, but we're killing babies. No, it doesn't make sense, but it does if you don't know what true treasure is. We can't fault people for not knowing if they don't know the one who will tell us what's true treasure. But we who are his, we can't be like Thomas Jefferson and cut out the parts we don't agree with, we don't like. Because if we do, we can't really call ourselves true disciples, true followers of Christ. And Jesus was the word, true followers of the word. And it becomes very uncomfortable when it comes down to who are you going to trust? Who are you going to follow? What are you going to value in a world that values the most skewed things? If I could just get that Rolex watch. I could just get that new house. Do you know, if you got a new house, it would be great. It would enrich, it would enhance, and it would elevate your life for a while. But guess what? With everything we acquire, we have to maintain. It takes work. And some of this stuff takes a lot of work. Oh, I just want a boat. Okay, there's nothing wrong with a boat. There's nothing wrong with a watch. Nothing wrong with a house. But what is it moving you towards? 
Because if it's not moving us towards God, it is not eternal. And it's not as valuable. And some of these things pull us away from God. You know, the enemy doesn't mind you being blessed as long as it doesn't draw you nearer to God. Because sometimes the blessings of God, we turn and make idols. Frank talked about idols a few weeks ago. And we have so many things that we have idolized and elevated in our lives. Now, I, I, I've done it at a variety of times in my life where I have elevated some things and, and valued things over God and, and just foolishly gotten mistaken in what I thought was valuable. When I was, before I went to college, I, I had acquired a car. But when I was going to college, I was driving 12 hours, one direction to college. That was on a good day. And I thought, you know, this would be more comfortable if I had an Econoline Ford van. And it was the thing back then. You would customize these vans, and, and you, could, you could relax in the back. And, and so I, my parents and I helped me to get rid of my car and get this white box on wheels. And I drove that back and forth for a long time to college. And when I got done with college, I went into the workplace, and I really regretted because I didn't want a van anymore. Saw it for what it was, but the problem was I began to see what I had had given away. I had a 1966 red convertible Mustang. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I look at the auctions online and, and see these things selling for just crazy money. But I wouldn't want the money, but I, I just, I misvalued the van over the car. You know what? We're all going to get to heaven if we're saved, if we've received Jesus as Lord. Heaven is our home. And don't be like me. When you get to heaven, you find out. Man, I gave away the kingdom so I could get these trinkets because they're not going to follow you. That stuff will not follow us. But the things we do with God and for God, that's eternal. That's priceless. Romans 14 verse 17 says this. God's kingdom isn't a matter of what you put in your stomach. It's what God does with your life. It's what God does with your life as he sets it right. You know, the first thing God does when he starts and he comes into our lives, he begins to turn things the right way because we've been turned upside down. He gets things in order, puts it together, and look at this, and completes it with that's what God does. 
And I'm going to end with this, Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. We're going to read this out of three translations because each one we can gain from. The Living Bible says it this way. Then he, and this is talking to Jesus about speaking to the multitudes. It says in Luke chapter 9 that he was addressing multitudes. Multitudes of people were following him. Many multitudes. He said to all, anyone who wants to follow me must put aside. This is where the rub comes. We, we start to bristle at this because who's God to tell us what we need to put, put aside? Because God knows what's best for us, he's always going to tell us truth, and that truth is going to help us to continue to live the abundant life he has. Must put aside his own desires and conveniences and carry his cross with him every day and keep close to me. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it, but whoever insists on keeping his life will lose it. Now, the Passion Translation puts it this way. Jesus said to all his followers, if you truly desire to be my disciple. I really like this translation because of how it differentiates just people that were following Jesus. You know, he had masses of people following him, some because they wanted to be fed, because he was feeding multitudes. Some because they wanted to see the show, the healings and the miracles. Some, they just saw a crowd and they showed up, but they were just following. There was no commitment except what they could gain. But he talks about a disciple, truly desires to be my disciple, must disown your life completely. Embrace my cross as your own. Surrender to my ways. For if you choose self-sacrifice, giving up your lives for my glory, you will discover true life. But if you choose to keep your lives for yourselves, you will lose what you're trying to keep. How harsh. How difficult. You know, Jesus was talking to a multitude of so-called disciples, and he told them, about what we did today, communion. And they, they had not had it. They didn't understand it. But he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no part in me. And, and there was an uproar. What do you mean? What do you mean? You've asked too difficult a thing. You know, we are not always going to understand what God is directing us to do, what the Word of God tells us to do. And because of that, because they leaned on their own understanding, they left Jesus. A large, large group of disciples, so-called disciples, left Jesus. And then Jesus turned to the disciples, Peter and James and John, and he said, are you going to go too? And they said to him, Lord, where, where can we go? You have the words of life. What are we turning to expecting to enhance and elevate and enrich our lives outside of God? Because it's temporary. You can have nothing and be 
truly seeking the kingdom of God first, and you'll have the greatest joy and the peace, the stability and the security. I know this. Because at times when that's the, the way I've lined up, it happens in my life. But I never saw it so clearly as I saw in Haiti. Haiti is a fourth world nation. It is desperately poor. People have very, very little. And yet the Christians there were some of the happiest most joyful people and willing to share anything they had. What little they had, they were willing to share. And there were other people in Haiti that were just absolutely miserable and they didn't have the joy and the peace, the contentment, the security and the happiness. That's where we're in this world. We're not of this world. Being in this world with everything going on, we need to be about our Father's business. We need to be focused on the kingdom of God, on the kingdom of heaven, on the truth of God's word and the character of our heavenly Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Not let all these things distract us and draw us away. And finally, in the voice, it says this. If any of you want to walk my path, you're going to have to deny yourself. You'll have to take up your cross every day and follow me. If you try to avoid danger and risk, then you'll lose everything. If you let go of your life and risk all for my sake, then your life will be rescued, healed, made whole and full. That's our choice. Are we going to give ourselves completely to God? Does that mean I have to give away all my stuff? No, not unless God tells you. God doesn't tell everybody to give everything away. But you know, when God speaks to somebody about something they need to let go of, it's for their good. God's trying to set us free and set us up. Set us free from the thing that we have been controlled by and so concerned with and distracted by, and set us up to experience true life, true peace, true joy, true security that comes in no one and nothing else than God and his kingdom. Our choice. Joshua said this at the end of his life, as for me, and my house, I'll serve the Lord. Who are you serving? What are you pursuing? I can't answer that question for you, but I've had to answer it for me. And I will tell you this. This has been some of the most uncomfortable things that I have ever studied tried to practice in my life and had to share. But as uncomfortable as it is, I find it is the best thing that's ever happened in my life outside of salvation. There's a change going on in my life. The things I once, like Paul, thought were so important, 
I'm finding out they're not that important and I'm getting free. And God wants you free. The Bible says, whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Like every head bowed, every eye closed. You know, it's great, it's great, it's great. When we come into the kingdom, it's all new. But we need to grow and learn about what this kingdom that we become members of. It's become our home. It's the way we're to live our life. And yet, somewhere along the line, the things that were so important before start to creep back into our lives. Remember when you got saved and how excited you were about Jesus? How excited you were about learning about who he is and what he said and about the Bible. But sometimes those things kind of grow dim. I was reminded of this song as I was preparing. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace see when we turn our eyes to Jesus when we seek first the kingdom of God the glory and the light of the kingdom and of our king begins to expose the things in our lives that take more than they give. And God always gives more than he takes. This morning, if you're here or you're online and you have never, never come to that place of saying, Lord Jesus, I want to give you my life. You gave your life for me. Now I'm giving my life to you. And if you've never done that, I want to pray with you this morning. I'm not going to ask you to pray alone. We're going to pray together. But make that a cry of your heart. God, I, Lord, I want you. Lord Jesus, I need you as Savior and Lord. To come in, to guide me, to govern me, to guard me. So that I can become what I was created to be. And I can do what no one else thought I could, even myself. But you created me to do things that are beyond my ability alone. But with you all things are possible. So I invite you to pray this morning. Heavenly Father, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I come to you right now. And I thank you for the priceless gift of your son. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the priceless gift that you gave of your life on the cross 
to pay the price for my sin. Today, Lord Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner. I come to you knowing my need for you as Savior and Lord. Today, Lord Jesus, I thank you for forgiving me, coming into my life, being Lord of my life, cleansing me from all things in the past, making me a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things are becoming new. Thank you, Lord, for being seated at the right hand of your Father, ever praying for me and for the body of Christ. From this day forward, I am yours, you are mine. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen, amen. If you prayed that prayer today for the first time, let somebody know. Uh, we want to celebrate with you. If you prayed online, let us know by going to the website, reslifeny.org, and, and scrolling down to where the prayer requests are. Uh, let us know that you prayed. If you want us to pray for you by name, give us your name. And if you want us to contact you, give us some contact information. Would you please stand? God.